morning, everyone. Oh, that was rather lackadaisical. Good morning. That's much better. How After you've you queued so long to get in here, you have to be more excited than that. Yeah. You've got a seat. Yes. <laughs> As for the people that are coming in now, well, uh, somebody sent me a text saying, um, basically, we're standing outside. You're not here. Hurry up. We can't get a seat. God bless you too. Vicky, did you sleep well? I did very well indeed. Pardon? No, it wasn't. It wasn't that one I was talking about. It was a different. It was a different text. I, I understood yours. Don't worry. Thank you so much. Um, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming back to uh, the session today. We're really looking forward to it. And thank you for all the texts as well. Vicky, any thoughts after yesterday? Yeah, I love how interactive uh, you guys are. We're loving the, the sort of Twitter texting stream. Some people have said they don't have any um, phone signal in here, which includes me, actually, on the three network. Um, so if you don't have any signal and you do feel a bit left out, um, feel free to scribble something on a piece of paper and pass it forwards, or um, obviously the Q&A times you'll be able to speak. But don't feel left out. Feel free to write us a note, you know, old style. I mean, that is the old style text, isn't it? The note. So, you know, yeah, do you, you know I didn't even think of writing notes? How sad is that? There's something wrong with me, I think. Have a look at this. It's a, it's a bit of a funny clip. It's so good. This is true. It is not doctored in any way. Honestly, no, it's true. It's true. You're not believing me. Well, you see, you and the Lord will have to deal with that, but it is true. Take a look again. It's fantastic. I wonder if that could be classed as an act of worship. I'm not sure. It'd be quite an interesting way to... I think, actually, that could be a good way of baptising people. I think that would, uh, that would go down in the kind of Mark Driscoll School of Theology, you know, like, man worship. Well, the women are kind of just in the middle, like, let's just go jump off something, go crazy. Speaking of going crazy and... Uh, can I just interrupt you? Can you see past us standing here? Do I need to move back? You can see the screen? No? How's that? <laughs> I'm only playing a bit part to Vicky Beeching. Yeah, right. Vicky's Seriously, world, Vicky's though, where, world. Excellent, excellent. Where do we need to sit? Is that... Everybody happy? Back here is good? Was that better than when we were there? Then we shall stay back here. Anything to keep the customers happy. <clears throat> uh, speaking of exciting things that are dramatic and adventurous, um, one of my good friends, Patrick Reagan, has um, written a book. Have you heard of XLP? Yeah. <clears throat> in, uh, in inner city London, Patrick's been working with gangs uh, for years and years now, making a massive difference. He puts on this showcase every year, and uh, apparently it's really, really dangerous because people are, are doing a musical talent showcase, but they're all from different gangs, so they always wonder if there's going to be like a massive bust-up and everyone's going to just, you know, 
fight and it's basically going to be kind of like a massive gang fight. So when he's literally dealing with that kind of stuff, do you deal with that on a Sunday morning? In many ways, yes, I'm sure. That's just our elders meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Well, Patrick's written a book called No Ceiling to Hope. You're going to hear a lot about that phrase because it's also the phrase we're using for our offering, that God actually doesn't put a ceiling on the kind of hope that we can offer to anyone. And uh, we'll just be mentioning a a book every morning. So that's the one we're mentioning across the site today. If you want a good read about, um, you know, things that make your local church seem less like gang warfare, read this. Uh, Let's just catch up on some of the texts and the the tweets and the Facebook messages. Thank you so so much. Up until the ones that started at about 8.30 this morning... Um, you should have bought a reply from them, for them all from me. Uh, the last one was sent at about 2.15, so I hope it woke you up. <laughs> um, but there were, it's really great. It is, you know, it's not just a gimmick, this, or writing things down. It genuinely isn't. It's an attempt to rediscover something of the dynamic of the early church, where there wasn't a, a group listening as an audience. There was a community learning together. And this creates just that kind of space. Um, Some of the things that have been asked this morning, the ones from yesterday, mostly we've answered. But there's a really couple of good ones. Somebody's text then, Vicky, let me just know your thoughts um, on this. Uh, It says, uh, what do we do about older women who are being marginalized in the church for younger women in the worship group? I think my first question is, which one are you thinking I am? I've reached that birthday where you start to wonder. Um, (laughs) I won't tell you which one it is, clearly. Um, I think that's an interesting question. I don't think it's actually gender-specific at all. I think it's an age thing. I think both men and women are experiencing that. When you get a little bit older, you might suddenly feel like you're being sort of sidled out. Has anybody felt that? Let's be honest here. Um, It is tricky. Um, And I think there is a bit of an uprising now, isn't there? We've got to get the young people up there. We've got to get them involved. And that is important. But I really think that there needs to be a place in the church for people who are seasoned. Because um, those of you here who are older, who have been doing this for longer, you are wiser. You are more experienced. And I think the church has to recognize that. We need a mixture. I think when we look up the front at church, we need to see um, something that actually breaks normal demographic stereotypes. We need to see older and younger people working together because that is the miracle of the church, isn't it? Um, Somebody said, thank you to so many of you that have sent texts saying that you're enjoying you enjoyed yesterday's session. We are really encouraged by that. And don't think that we don't need to hear that. It really is terrific to hear it. Thank you to the person who texted me this morning and said my fly was undone. Um, since I don't have a fly but buttons, it wasn't undone, so you didn't catch me out. Um, if I'm singing along to worship songs in the kitchen while I'm cooking tea, am I worshipping? How about if I'm just listening while I'm doing jobs? Is that worshipping? Very good question. We have a unanimous response. There you are. I need Anybody to say no think more. no? I think I think it could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean you are. Can be a bit of controversial. Just singing words because you know the words of a tune doesn't mean you're worshiping. If you're intentionally focusing on God whilst you're doing the dishes and listening to the song, I think worship has to have something about intentionality about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Has anybody heard of Brother Lawrence? Um, makes me think of him, this monk who uh, would do all of his tasks as worship, washing the dishes in the monastery. He's uh, a great book to read. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. It's a really old book. Um, 
But he really considered that every task in the monastery was worship, and his job was to wash the dishes, and he did that as his worship. So, like so, Malcolm says, it's about intentionality of the heart, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I think you can be in a church service and leading that service and not be intentionally focused on God. I think I have, I have worked with folk um, who have been leading the congregation in worship, but they themselves haven't been. And there's something about being a lead worshipper. Yeah. Uh, before you're anything else, you are a worshipper. Here's one for you. Um, I... I I'm aware of a couple of courses, but you are a worship leader, so you might be aware of more. You talked about worship leaders getting theological training. Can you recommend any courses or resources to help bootstrap us? Wow, courses and resources and bootstrapping. This is a lyricist in the house. Um, <clears throat> let me think. Well, um, I would be tempted to name some actual organizations, but to be honest, I think one of the best ways is just to read Reading is a bit of a lost art, I think, for many of us in this busy world. Um, you guys will look quite learned. I see some beards in the house. You know, people listen. <laughs> it's just the women. Some of the men have beards, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, awesome. Bum, bum. The old ones are the best. They <laughs> are. Keep wheeling them out. It's perfect. Um, I would say, um, yeah, just, just Google, you know, systematic theology, for example. If you want a good book, I'll give you a good idea now. It's called An Introduction to Christian Theology by Alistair McGrath. He taught me at Oxford. He's a great guy. An Introduction to Christian Theology by Alistair McGrath. I think it's about starting small. I would be surprised if any of us actually get through that book in the next six months. So take that and run with it. <laughs> um, and don't, don't think that it has to be, I have to give up my job and go back to Bible college or university or that I have to enroll in a course in London and travel miles. I would say just start getting a few books like that that are a bit more meaty and read a bit every day. And that's actually the easiest way. Yeah, and Matt Redman a couple of years ago wrote, wrote a great little book called Face Down. Um, have a look at that. London School of Theology um, have a degree in music and uh, worship leading. It's very good. And they have certificates and diplomas. A guy called David Peacock is the director there. A guy called Kerry Luce, who's often on site here playing piano or drums is one of the lecturers there well worth a look and you are are you teaching some stuff on contemporary worship in durham i am but it's a million miles away so <laughs> well you're assuming that everybody here is from somewhere near here has anyone made the pilgrimage from the north See? Yeah. See? most people would go to skegness if they do live in the north that is a little so bit there are there are other courses worth yeah. taking a look at yeah i think lst is probably the best the best place to start if you're southern or mid Let's take a look at the theme for today and let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are interested in our worship. You call us to be worshippers. And uh, we thank you that mission exists because worship doesn't. And you desire to draw people into relationship with you. Intimate, beautiful, wonderful, glorious relationship. Thank you for what you taught us yesterday about looking up. As we now explore what it means to look around us today. Would you help us and guide us by your spirit and help us to listen to each other? In Jesus' name, amen. So the subject this morning is uh, looking around us. How do we, having looked at yesterday looking up, how do we look around us and uh, connect as a community together in worship with God? What does that mean? Here's um, an abstract or a single sentence that can summarize what we're trying to do. This session will look at how to put together a meaningful, biblical, and effective time of corporate worship. It will be incredibly practical and relevant to every church tradition and meeting type, traditional new church, liturgical, cafe style, 
and contemplative. Vicky. It's no small aim, is it? <laughs> Why do I write these things? <laughs> I'm like, great. Basically, um, today in a nutshell is about the fact that our relationship with God isn't just us and him. And um, I'm very aware of the individualized society that we are in these days. Anybody finding that more and more and more? It seems like more of an I culture. I am um, an Apple fan. I'll just confess that. Anything made by Mac. So, uh, you know, you think about those things. You've got an iPod, an iPhone, an iPad, an iMac. And um, I, obviously I love all those gadgets. But I do think it's interesting that the I culture is becoming more and more prevalent. So are we ending up with iChurch? And I think to some degree we are. People um, often come in through our doors and their relationship with God is quite individualistic. Maybe they think that they could have church just as well if they bought a worship CD and a teaching book and sat at home and listened and read themselves. That's, that would be inconceivable years ago because the mentality was much more corporate if you go back, you know, decades and decades. But we're a very individualized society, aren't we? It's me with my headphones in and my ideas and my take on the world. And we want to remember today that worship is very much a sideways activity. We talked yesterday about the fact that that's an unfortunate revelation for many of us, that worship does have to involve all the people around us at our church, and we might prefer it if we could just sit there with our headphones in. But the good news is that in engaging sideways looking around us as a, as a corporate body, we actually get a much more precious and powerful worship experience, don't we? Because it's, it's multiple voices, multiple hearts. So we want to combat the I culture. And my hope is that all of you guys would go back to your churches with, with a renewed commitment to corporate worship, to the, the body of expression that God really wants. Um, there's a lot of different things springing up, not only with uh, the kind of I worship, I want to sit at home with my iPod and my books, but um, has anybody heard about online church? <clears throat> this is one of my favorite subjects. I'm actually researching it at the moment for my PhD, the kind of cyber spirituality. Um, it's, it's kind of the next phase of I want to do church with my headphones in and a book in my hand. It's saying, actually, I'm going to engage with other people, but through my computer. And uh, there's a lot of people now who don't go to church and they just engage with, you know, great YouTube videos of someone like Malcolm Duncan <laughs> preaching. Um, that was the worst accent I've ever done in my life. That's supposed to be Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always told by my friends that everything sounds Punjabi, even when I do like, you know, Welsh or Scottish. So I try to stay away from those things, but must have been, you know, the Diet Coke getting me excited. Um, yeah, so online church, and I wanted to actually throw this out to you this morning, because this is going to be a growing topic in our world. Spirituality and the internet is massive. Um, what do you think about online church? If, uh, it's quite prevalent in America, so you, you know what time the service starts, say it's 10 o'clock, you get your laptop out, you sit in front of it, you've got your internet connection, and, this, and the service starts. There's worship, you're in front of your laptop, you know, you're singing along, the preacher speaks, he might even say, does anyone have any prayer requests? A bit like we do here. You, mm. you tweet, you text, you, you internet message chats. Um, the service happens. Maybe they pray a blessing over everyone. And then maybe there's a chat room on the side of the site where you interact with the other people who are, who are involved. So get into your little buzz groups. Do you think that is church? Do you think you can have true communion, community? Uh, what if you're celebrating actual communion in front of your laptop with the elements? Is that actually the same? Can the Holy Spirit move through wires? What do you think? Two minutes to talk about that. Okay. 
The very best thing about, these are you, by the way, the very best thing about Cyber Church is that you never need to be on the coffee rota again. <laughs> oh, great, I love it. Uh, is, is online church an acceptable substitute whilst living in a non-Christian country with no local English language fellowships? How do we get 20 or 30-year-old people to come to church? Maybe that's... That's what keeps me awake at night. <clears throat> I thought you were putting your hand up because you were in that brain. <laughs> do you think I'm not? <laughs> You're just about. You mean like 19? Ah. <laughs> uh. As a preacher, I wire hard on cre I wire hard. I must. I work hard. I think that probably means. As a preacher, Maybe I. Maybe he's I an electrician in his spare time. I'll tell you. An <laughs> Stay focused. I work hard on creating a sense of place, an ambiance, a mood. How do you do that over the net? That's a good question. Yeah. Let me. Uh, I'll talk about it in a minute. For those that can't make it to church, the online version is great, but I think it loosens community and draws us away from the church family. It may be impractical for building strong Christian friendships, but it could appeal to people, these are all different folks saying this, it could appeal to people thinking about the church and about God, but who haven't made the step of going into a building full of Christians. Last one, for people who perhaps can't get to a service for some reason, surely that must be a good thing. And also it's God having a presence on the web. Those are all really great. Let me tell you a true story. Happened to me last night about culture clashes. And I think it happens often. Um, we don't realize it. This is, this is honestly true. Um, I went to somebody's chalet for a cup of tea last night because I didn't get to eat from 5 o'clock yesterday morning until 10 past 5 yesterday morning. <laughs> from 5 o'clock yesterday morning until half past 10 last night almost. And somebody made me a bowl of, thank you, spinach and coconut soup. Wow. Anyway, there was another lady in the chalet, and she said to me, um, I don't know how we ended up talking about whiskey, but we ended up talking about whiskey. <laughs> don't be offended about that. Um, and she said, um, do you like whiskey? And I said, mm, well, I occasionally take it. And she said, do you have it with an E or without? <laughs> and I looked at her and said, I beg your pardon? She was meaning Irish whiskey or Scotch whiskey. I was thinking tablet or no tablet. <laughs> and I thought, that's a really good example of cultures clashing. And it was not dreamed up, it just happened. And sometimes I think the culture of church gathered, traditional church, and the culture of um, internet and um, electronic church community can clash. We broadcast all our services live via the web, and we have people that watch from all over the world. Um, and they, 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 they join us, they engage with us, so I will often speak to the camera, despite what Tim Vine said the other night. When you look directly at the camera, people watching it feel as if they are listening to you and you're having a conversation with them. Um, so I think that there's a place for it, but I also think that there are challenges with it. And I think some of the challenges with it are the same as the challenges, and some of you will be offended by me, associated with a, a diet of God TV. 
I'm not sure Jesus would be a televangelist. I think he would want to relate to people personally. He could have spoken to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in his earthly ministry. He chose to develop a relationship with 12. Now, relationship is clearly possible through the internet. Uh, of course it is. I have relationships with many people through the internet. But it's harder and it's different. And it's easier to hide and create God in our image. What do you think before we move on? Yeah, I think actually it's a very good thing. Um, and I kind of set it up a bit like devil's advocate, you know, to kind of go, it's an evil thing that's destroying our lives. But actually, I think if it's in conjunction with great community, you can actually experience different kinds of churches you would never get to attend. So you can step into a, a very different tradition and experience preachers from all over the globe, largely for free if it's just broadcasted live. And I think that's an amazing resource. It's also amazing for people that are housebound, um, people who can't easily get out, people who are in a, in a season of sickness. I know lots of people who have absolutely depended on that kind of community. So I also think that because many of our younger people are living on the internet almost, um, and that's probably my interest in it, we need to be there. We need to be providing for them. And for them, online relationships are very, very real. Actually, um, I think it's a third of couples now actually meet online and then get married. I mean, that's a fairly incredible statistic, isn't it? Um, so it is a real place. Real life does happen online, and I'm very, very passionate about that. And I think we need to develop our spirituality online as well as offline. As long as it's in conjunction, then I think it's a healthy thing. And I think, I think that you can continue this. I mean, theologically... You know, I can remember conversations with people. Do you remember the Gestetners? Yeah. One handle turned purple all over your face. One handle turned. Do you remember Gestetners? No. <laughs> Flannel graphs? Oh, yeah, like the little things that you stuck on it. Yeah. They okay. weren't little things. They were Jesus and the <laughs> disciples. I suppose I was little then, so they seemed little. I think that there is a, there is a tradition in the church. No, of, no, what was that thing? A flannel graph is an old photocopier. Gisetner. Oh, Gisetner, yeah. yeah. You put purple powder in it and you twisted what? it. And it, it was, it's too long and complicated. Were you on those tablets at that point? <laughs> we, have, we have had a church tradition of engaging with people where they are. Let me do a little bit of theology with you before we move on. And it's an important theology. It's called a theology of accommodation. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, <clears throat> but to help you to understand it... Um, it's, uh, l let me tell you a story about a dump in Cairo in 1871. This isn't on my notes, but you'll enjoy it anyway. Do you know, I feel like Dave Allen. Good night and may your God go with you. <laughs> Dave Allen? Also no, but... <laughs> anyway. As I was saying. <laughs> you said I was 50. <laughs> I did not. You assumed I said that. Oh. In 1871, there are 500 words in the New Testament which are called um, hapax legomenon. It's a posh word. It means only written once. Um, literally in Greek, it means written once. And up until 1871, most theologians, not all, but most theologians thought that these words were special words, dropped down from heaven, words that couldn't describe anything um, on earth. So God had to give us special words. One of the words that is a hapax is the word for bread in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, and then in 1871, a couple of guys that were clearing a dump in Cairo found some clay pots and old bits of um, uh, clay, like the equivalent of first the equivalent of messages shopping lists 
or notes sent to children fighting on a front somewhere. And they began to discover some of these words. And it turns out, and then some more were discovered in some of the Qumran pots that were found in 1947 um, in caves in Israel, or what became Israel. And it turns out that these 500 words weren't special words dropped down from heaven because there was nothing earthly that could explain uh, what God was trying to convey through scripture. They were words that were so common and so ordinary that good writers wouldn't use them. And that's the theology of accommodation. The book of, he the book of Psalms is written in the worst Hebrew imaginable. The New Testament is written in Cockney Greek. It's called Koine Greek. It's not classical Greek. It's awful Greek. If you read the servant songs of Isaiah, Isaiah 55, Ho, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, come buy food without money and wine without price. You know that section? That literally sounds like a Cockney barrow boy trying to get you to buy veg off his stall. Oh, everybody! <laughs> Come to the waters! I apologise for being Dick Van Dyke. I know who that is. <laughs> God, listen, God becomes, God takes on the language of a Cockney barrow boy to reach us. God uses common cockney. He will use whatever language he needs to reach us. That's called the theology of accommodation. So what we need to learn from that, there's so much more I could say about that, but we don't have time, is that, um, one more example. When the, uh, the Bible was translated first from Latin into English, in the introduction of that version, the person that was the chief translator said, I want a Bible that can be understood by the plowboy and in the pulpit. A couple of hundred years later, that version was used in the preparation of the King James Version. And in the Hampton Court Conference of 1604 to 1611, which gave birth to the King James Version of the Bible, the divines that were the translators were instructed to create a translation worthy of the grandeur of God. God doesn't need a translation worthy of his grandeur. God needs a translation that connects with people. God doesn't need songs worthy of his grandeur. A child singing a nursery rhyme to the glory of God is grander than Bach's passion performed without a knowledge of faith. We've got to understand that it's not about the complexity and it's not about guarding something and it's not about holding on. It's about reaching into the culture where we find ourselves and saying not what do we want, but how do they need us to connect to God so that they can understand him. Does that make sense? And the same is true of how we gather in community. Somehow, we've got to create a culture. Oh, I'm going too far. We've got to create a culture of diversity. We've got to be able to create a culture where the old and the new mix. And it's not easy. I lead a, a large church um, full of people who have interesting views. Some of them are here. So I have to be careful. No, I don't really have to be careful. I love them. And I, there are two words I want to use. One is... Homo homogeneity and one is heterogeneity. Do you know what I mean? Neither are diseases, don't worry. <laughs> homogeneity is when we're all the same. Heterogeneity is when we are different. Now, here's my thing. I think missional communities, I don't know if you agree with this, I think missional communities need to use an, a worship style which is largely homogenous. 
So if you want to connect with 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, use music and songs that will connect with 30 and 40-year-olds. If you want to reach folk that are 70 or 80 and are used to different sorts of music, some of them might, like, I have an 80-year-old friend who loves hip-hop. Then use music and worship that will relate to that people group. But I don't think you leave them there. And this is really important for me. I feel quite passionate about this. I think the church is called to be heterogeneous. We rub up against each other. It's not your fault. You're not Irish. God understands. (laughs) But get used to this accent because this is what he sounds like. (laughs) But what I want to say is when we gather together, when we gather together as the church, the songs that you like and the songs that I like will not be the same. And your preference is like a sharp edge that will rub up against my preference. If we create a worship style which is only for one group of people, then the subliminal message that we are sending is that only one group of people is who we want. Actually, great, use missionally, use worship to reach into people's lives where they are, where they're at, to use songs and music and styles and cultures, whether it be cafe church or something else, that helps them to connect. And you may need to keep them in that context. I'm not suggesting that they have to leave it completely. But also take seriously the responsibility of helping people to learn from each other and be changed by each other in their styles and their preferences so that together we become more beautiful. Does that make sense? I think it's a really important issue. Uh, How do we handle it at Gold Hill? We have um, a number of different congregations. On a Tuesday night, we have an 18 to 30s congregation, which is very different. Um, very relaxed, very informal. On a Sunday morning, we have a service at nine o'clock, which is very trad. I love it, actually. Really, really gentle and reflective. At 10.45, we have two services. One takes place in our congregation, uh, in our building, and is um, an all-age type thing, with packed full in the first 15 minutes of stuff that everybody all age can engage with. And then we have a time which is more reflective and focused, But at the same time, we have a congregation that meets in the pub across the road where the people hate singing. They don't like it. They just don't do it. They can't engage with it. They find it really difficult. So we have created another community for those who worship God differently. And that's a missional community. And it's built around newspapers and dialogue and conversation and discussion and debate. And then on a Sunday night, we have another congregation at 6.30, which is much more... um, there's more opportunity for response. But all of them sometimes dip into other things. So we don't just leave them the same. We seek to challenge them to learn a little bit from each other. And we have a a team of worship leaders. We have a number of worship leaders. And they flit across those services. And they're asked to engage in different styles until they find the one that um, they are most effective in. So it's one example of how we can try to create diversity. And we're looking to start more congregations across the course of the next 18 months, that connect with people differently. So we're trying to connect them differently, but then introduce them to each other so that they can relate to one another. Does that make sense? And it's working a little bit, I think. Some of it is working, some of it isn't working. Yeah, lots of the texts we've been getting have been um, kind of around those questions. How do you cater for everybody in your church? Does anybody find that stressful? It's got so many different opinions and age groups and desires and preferences how do you possibly put music together that actually keeps everybody happy? Um, I think often we are, as the worship leaders, the people that get the most gripes. 
uh, you know, the drums were too loud or there weren't any drums or, you know, the bassoon player gave me a headache or, you know, there was no bassoon player. <laughs> everybody's too old, everybody's too young. It is a stressful job, isn't it? Yeah, some, well, sometimes you're just so domineering and controlling as worship leaders. <laughs> you forget that there's actually a preacher. <laughs> I, I appreciate that I'm in a minority of one. I'm only kidding. That is the health of having two different perspectives on this. Vicky does it her way and I do it God's way. Um, <laughs> why, <laughs> why separate services? How can you have an inclusive church community with separate services for each age group? We separate them for mission. We separate services to engage people who aren't Christians and then we introduce them to one another in various techniques through small groups, when we have coffee, how we gather for other stuff. I, don't, I, will do, I will become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. And then I will introduce them to other aspects of churchmanship. But I will not cause the churchmanship to be a stumbling block to people coming to faith. The only stumbling block that should be there is the stumbling block of the cross. So if a different context reaches into a different community, do it. Yeah. But then make sure that you don't leave people there. Yeah. Introduce them to the wider life of the church. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Right, we promised you practical help today, didn't we? Does anybody want practical help? You just want to actually get something out of this that helps you do your job better. That is why you came. So, bearing all that in mind, what does this actually mean for your local situation? Now, Show me again who's involved in the music part of your church life. It's quite a lot. And then who here wants to uh, basically change the way that music happens in your church life? <laughs> Great. What? Good job I don't go to your church. So, for those of you who are involved, this will be a, a kind of a practical how-to. For those who are uh, congregation members, this might kind of give you some ideas to take back some gentle feedback to share as the Lord leads. You know how people do that? They're like, I just have a sense. It's just on my heart that I've, I've just come back from spring harvest and I know you're our worship leader. I just felt the Lord was saying that you should do this and this and this and this and this and this. this. So this is for you to take back in that kind of gentle, there's the Lord leads context. So it's your week. You're putting together your music. Um, what do you do? How can we get better at what we do? Um, I'll give you a little insight into what I do in preparing musical worship and then Malcolm will give you an insight into what he does as, a, as putting together the entire service because it's really important for us to be able to um, kind of get inside the heads of the people that actually oversee entire services because that can be a real point of tension. Most of the worship leaders I meet and speak to in life, uh, their main stressor is their relationship with their senior church leader and that's nothing against senior church leaders. It just can be a very difficult relationship because um, those two groups of people can have very different priorities and communication styles. Malcolm and I were actually just joking as we were setting up about our different personalities. Now, I'm a musician, and you'd think that I would be actually kind of off with the fairies, like really creative, but I'm actually very analytical. Malcolm is a learned, academic, you know, Bible-knowing preacher, but he's also very creative, very poetic, aren't you? So you kind of get different personality types. And if we were working together in church, Malcolm might see things through a really creative lens, I might see things through a really analytical lens. And then it's not that anybody's right or wrong, but you do just have clashes. So it's usually the other way around. Most, most musicians will want a lot more freedom, uh, a lot more flexibility. 
and, and many church leaders will want a lot more structure. And that, for both people, seems like the best thing, doesn't it? But often it can create tensions. Is anybody relating to me out there at all? <clears throat> so maybe you want to go into a service and say to your senior leader, well, actually, I'd really like the flexibility to just keep going as long as it feels right. He's going, in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but both, both views are actually um, full of integrity and wanting to honour God. You know, we want to, to see uh, kind of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the room and maybe how many songs we should do depends on that. But then obviously, if you're a senior leader, you want to make sure people feel safe. You want to make sure that there is a sense of boundary and control to the morning. So um, one thing I wanted to encourage you as we talk about planning worship, put yourself in the shoes of the person who is leading your church. And just imagine what it must be like to do that job, to carry that heavy weight, to be overseeing everything. All of the criticism in church tends to find its way to the door of the senior leader. I know we do get gripes about volume and things like that. But imagine the pastoral needs, concerns and criticisms of an entire church. And hopefully that will just give us a bit more sympathy when our church leader says, stop singing, <laughs> you know, too many songs or whatever. You know, it's, it's about having grace, isn't it? So as soon as I um, start thinking about planning worship, uh, the first thing I'll find out is how many minutes I've got. This is going to be very practical. It might seem quite basic to some of you. I'll find out how many minutes I've got because for me, I want to respect the place that I'm leading in. And for many church leaders, timing is a, a real love language, as they say in America. I've been in America too long, clearly. Love language sounds quite sappy, doesn't it? But it's, um, it's about knowing what matters to different people. For many church leaders, it's very important that things run to schedule, and I respect that. So ask, find out exactly how many minutes you have got. Not how many songs, because that can actually be quite open-ended. That can cause a lot of problems. If you think a song is nine minutes and your church leader thinks a song is three minutes, you've instantly got a problem. <clears throat> so you, you match your songs to the minutes, not your minutes to the songs. Does that make sense? So find out how long you've got. Um, often it's worth casting a vision if you feel like you need songs all together in a block rather than being broken up. Does anybody struggle with that? They keep breaking up your songs. You want to have a little block. That, that's something that um, takes time to explain and to get people on board with. It seems very normal to us here that you would want to have maybe 20 minutes solidly to sing. And we understand that as worship people, don't we, as music people, that it takes a while to take people on a journey. But for many uh, people structuring church services, they see worship as a sort of punctuation. It's not that they value it any less, but it's like, okay, so we'll do this and then we'll have a song and then we'll do this and then we'll have a song. It feels a bit like you're kind of standing up and sitting down and um, most of us just long for that block. So I would say don't expect that right away if your church doesn't understand that, but do sort of gently campaign for that and, and explain why. It's not that you just want more stage time. It's that you know that taking people on a journey musically takes a little bit of time, doesn't it, to let our walls kind of come down. And um, it is, I think, ideal to try and aim for a few songs together just so people can really engage and they're not always bobbing up and down. Another key thing to find out is what the theme of the service is. This again might seem very basic to some people, but to have cohesion across a service, it's important that we're working together. It's not just the music team doing their bit and then the speaker doing their bit. If, if we can get a theme through the whole morning or evening, it's such a great thing, isn't it? And finding out where the person speaking is going to end up where they sort of think they're going to leave people so that you know the songs that you've chosen after the preaching kind of are there to, to really continue that, that you're not, um, you know, the preacher doesn't come to the end and say, right, we're going to have a time of repentance and you've planned a happy day. 
not ideal, you know, or, you know, we're going to celebrate and you've got like a lament <laughs> and everything kind of goes. So you can tell when things have been planned. Um, we do that a lot here at Spring Harvest. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, for me, a lot of it is actually about very practical questions about minutes um, and about themes. Another key one is keys. Uh, does anybody think much about keys for the opposite gender? Put your hands up if you do. I love you guys. As, as a real struggle in, in planning worship, um, people often don't think about the fact that men and women's voices are very, very different. A lot of songs are written in keys so high that you have to squeak like a small pig. <laughs> and it's not attractive. Um, so there's actually um, something to be said for changing keys. If anyone doesn't know how to do that, the good news is you can do it online. If you Google transpose chords, you'll come up with a whole host of websites where you can actually paste in words and guitar chords and tell it which key you want it to become, and it will actually transpose it for you. I live by that website. <coughs> when I'm leading worship here next week, I will be using it a lot. Um, so any kind of chord transposition. Another great thing to do is find someone of the opposite sex and run your songs past them and make sure they can sing it because we are trying to cater for a very diverse audience, aren't we? And it's, there's nothing worse than being there wanting to sing and literally not being able to hit the notes. So what, what suits your voice as a man or woman isn't actually the number one priority when you lead worship. It's got to still sound good. Like it's got to be somewhere in your range. But um, I, I often sing in a slightly... But it's not my favourite part of my range, but I'll sing in it because it means everybody can join in. So these practical things are worth asking. So minutes, theme, keys, uh, trying it out um, on a lot of different people to see if they can join in. Um, another thing I would say is um, trying to link songs one to another is a really good idea. You can put a couple of songs in the same key and sort of flow from the end of one into the next. And Pete James did it a couple of times last night, which I thought was great. So there isn't a sort of sense of, and the song's finished, and there's a sort of rustling around, and we're going to turn over our papers, and someone's knocked over their trumpet, and there's a small child running around. You know. I mean, it's, that's all great, but there is something special about just creating a moment where people are able to just be really focused, isn't there, and kind of lost in it. So I'd encourage you, somewhere in there, try and chuck in a couple of songs in the same key, um, not to create a cheesy medley, but, uh, you know, just to create a sense of musical flow and think about how you're going to link song to song. If you are um, lucky enough to get to do songs back to back, how are you going to end one song and begin the next one without it feeling like there's a kind of, you know? So those are just some of the things I'd encourage you to consider. Great. What do you think, Malcolm? I think, it's I think they're great. And actually, some of the texts are really interesting. Uh, what I love about this session is that we can have a laugh, but we can also learn so strongly together. There's a great balance in that. So thank you, Vicky. Um, here's an interesting text. Who should lead the service? The music group leader or the leader of the service? Who is better to choose the songs? When I take a service, I don't allow the music group leader to choose the songs. Just uh, please, please remember this person is in the room. <laughs> We have pink slips for the pastoral team. <laughs> when I take a service, I don't allow the music group leader to choose the songs because I have no confidence that he'll choose the right ones for the theme. So the issue is probably my sister or my brother, an issue of trust. 
And I would suggest to you that you need to have a conversation with that worship group leader and be honest with them and say, actually, the reason I do that is because I struggle a little bit with the songs that you choose. Now, let me be really honest, and I know, Josh, you won't, allow, you won't mind me doing this. We have a number of worship leaders in our church family, some that are growing and developing into that and some that have been doing it for years. And Josh, just stand up, Josh, so people can see you. This is Josh Bryant. Josh, you're 19. Sit down again. <laughs> Josh is 19, and he leads worship for us regularly. Um, and he and I talk about the song choices, don't we? Uh, normally what happens is he will choose them, because I have a view that if a worship leader is the worship leader, I will trust them to choose the songs. But I want to have a conversation with them about the theme. I want to talk to them about where we're going. I want to talk to them about where the response might be. And I want them to be open to the possibility that after the preach, the Holy Spirit may do something and we'll end up in a completely different place. Mm -hmm. And um, on a couple of occasions, Josh and I have had disagreements over song choices, haven't we? And we've talked about it. Just because he's 19 doesn't mean that he doesn't, doesn't demand my respect. And he may not have had as much experience in leading worship as I have had, but he's actually a very good worship leader. And he's becoming even better because we have an honest conversation. So how do we do it in Gold Hill? I, I, actually, I am a musician. You probably don't know that. Years ago, I, I, now you see, speak it not in Gath, but years ago, I won Young Musician of the Year in Ireland. A man of many talents. For playing the clarinet and saxophone. So put that in your hymn book and sing it, Vicky Beatrice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But when we are, when we are, when we are, when we are, when we are carrying out, so here's how we plan things. We deliberately have different spaces and there is somebody else has sent a text and said, but they should be mixing. I think folks, you're missing my points. What I'm saying is our different spaces are not simply for the church. Our different spaces are for mission. And it's entirely appropriate to have specific spaces for mission and then encourage people into broader church community. I think that's a really, let's have a fight about that. Because I think it's actually a really important issue. It's why Paul reached Gentiles and he was commissioned as an apostle to the Gentiles, but he didn't leave them in that place. Um, so when we have a, we conduct, um, we do quite a lot of planning around preaching and teaching and where we're going as a church family. So we have a theme. At the minute, we're working through a three-year theme, which is taking everybody in our church through the Bible from beginning to end at the same time. No matter what age they are, we want the whole church to be taught the whole story so that they may celebrate Jesus at the center of it all. Um, so we have a creative team. We have a, several, a couple of worship teams, but they all form one big team. And we have a teaching and curriculum development team. So what we do is we've set out where we're going, and it'll sound complicated. It's jolly hard work. Um, one of the, the things that I give most of my time to is getting the platform ministry in our church right. Not because I'm a control freak, because I'm not, but because I'm aware that for many people, that is where they will encounter God. They'll come to a meeting, and I want it to be right, and I make no apology for that, actually. Um, so we have a teaching and curriculum plan. We know where we're going. We know what we're going to do. We're open to the Holy Spirit changing that. So on a Monday morning, the worship leader will contact whoever's preaching and he'll, he or she will say, um, what, are, what, are your, what are your theme for this week? They'll have had the theme, they'll have had the outline uh, because we have a termly meeting to discuss that. 
but they'll then say, anything else that you're thinking about, any changes, any responses that you're thinking about, here's what I'm thinking about, here's where I think we could go, what do you think about that? By the Wednesday or the Thursday, we'll have sorted out that the worship leader will have selected some songs and run them past the, the group that's going to be playing and singing. They'll meet on a Thursday. If they're, if, they're if they're playing on a Sunday morning, they meet on a Thursday night for a rehearsal. If they're playing on a Sunday night, they meet on a Sunday afternoon for a rehearsal for that evening. And sometimes they get into the pattern where they meet on a Sunday afternoon for the following Sunday night. Um, they will uh, pray together and we will pray together about it. And we'll just say, are we on the same track? If there are songs that aren't working, we'll have a conversation about that and say, could you take that one out and find something else? Um, if, there's a, if there's a response time, our responses aren't all come to the forward for prayer, come to the front for prayer. Sometimes they're write something on a card or take a piece of stone or sit in reflection or dip your hands in water. We've got lots of different reflections. And we have a creative team that we work with who write little dramas or find poems or songs or dramatized Bible readings. And the whole thing is a journey. So what we want is when people come into our gatherings, we want them first of all to be called. We call them a song or a declaration that will call them from their various lives during the week. Not forgetting those things, but bringing them with them, but giving them the opportunity to focus. And then in a typical Sunday morning service, we'll have a 15 minute block of all age worship and teaching that includes everybody. And then at 11 o'clock, our children will normally leave. Um, and we have from about 11 through until about 11.25, a block of sung worship, um, which just flows. We encourage people from the floor to contribute songs. Sometimes we don't have music at all, and we just have voices. Sometimes we have music. And then about 11.25-ish, the preacher comes on, preaches through until about 12 o'clock or 12.10. I'm preaching I'll just be honest with you, I'm preaching too long at the moment. I've got into a habit of just being long-winded. And my, I, we give each other feedback. So I need my team to say to me, could you shut up 10 minutes earlier? Or could you just stop because you've bored people? And I get the opportunity to say to the worship team, you didn't need to sing that extra song. And you might think that's really confrontational. Actually, what it does is it generates trust and mutual respect. And then we have a time of response and we finish about 12.15. Now, depending on the service, actually, sometimes we do have hymn prayer sandwiches. Yeah. Um, so this Good Friday, we'll have a hymn prayer sandwich. We'll have a very traditional service of readings, reflections, and hymns. Reading, reflection, hymn. Reading, reflection, hymn. And five minutes at the end. And it is beautiful. Uh, sometimes we'll have blocks of worship. Can I tell you one thing that we're doing practically and then we can move on? I'm really excited about this. Two things. Last year for Easter, we had this big metal cross made and we gave everybody when they came in a daffodil. And the cross was blank. It was just chicken wire. And on Easter Sunday morning, um, in the all age bit at the end of our all age service on Easter Sunday morning, we invited people to come forward and put a daffodil in the cross. And this huge cross went from being grey and boring to verdant with colour and life. It was the most beautiful thing. And we had music playing in the background and folk were singing. It was just... Oh, it was beautiful. This Sunday morning, please pray for us this Easter Sunday, because I'm going back to lead my own church services. I've got about eight on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then back here for next week. And on Easter Sunday morning, we've given out leaflets to all of our uh, schools saying, please come to the common, a big bit of grass outside of us, at 11.45 on Easter Sunday morning for a great Easter egg giveaway. And we've got about 500, 600 Easter eggs. 
And what we're going to do is we're taking a big cross out onto the common. The service is finishing early. We're going to be led out in song. The service is finishing early. And on the cross, there are hundreds of little bits of color. They just look like flowers, but they're not. They're actually 20 or 30 feet bits of ribbon. And about 200 folk are going to take a bit of ribbon each and walk out from the center of the cross on the common and fill it with color. Everybody's being asked to come dressed in bright clothes. And we're going to sing a song with some very simple actions on the common all over it. And then we're going to leave an Easter egg and walk off. And the whole village is going to be invited to come and have an Easter egg for free. And in the back of the Easter egg is an explanation of the Easter story and an invitation to Christianity Explored, which begins on the 25th of April. So cool. I can't wait. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is not because I want to say, look at us, aren't we good? We just sat down, a group of us, and said, what can we do to be creative? How can we work this? So we do that about every service. We want to inbreed creativity and give folk a chance to do things that are different. And if it doesn't work, do you know what? It doesn't really matter. At least we've tried. Yeah, absolutely. It's really useful to get an insight, isn't it, into how different churches do things because most of us are so involved in our own church that we actually don't really get a chance to find that out. Uh, one of the texts that's come in, um, it's, uh, something I was going to touch on during the worship zone this year, it says, in Methodist churches, local preachers expect to choose songs, and it can be very difficult to change this. Um, so last year in the worship zone, we actually had the same thing come up. There were lots of Methodists who attended these sessions, and they said that the preachers come around on circuits, and they bring the songs with them, and often you only get them as they arrive, about five or ten minutes before the service. So if any of us think we're in a tough situation, big respect to these guys. And what happened last year was the Methodists who were at the worship zone actually all um, kind of met. And uh, they, they formed this kind of little uh, cohesion. And they talked throughout the whole year about how they could make life better as a Methodist. So I'm going to um, <coughs> just encourage you, if you are a Methodist here and that's you... Um, at the end of the, the session, just meet down here if you want to meet any other Methodists. We did this last year and it worked well. If you just want to talk about how difficult it is working with circuit preachers, and it just seems like that particular denomination um, has different kind of uh, stresses on worship leaders. So down there at the front, if you want to gather as Methodists, if you don't, that's totally fine. Um, but that's just one thing that came up last year. Um, speaking of... Uh, getting an insight into how we plan things. Have you ever wondered how Spring Harvest meetings come together? I uh, want to give you a quick uh, five-minute insight into how we plan these big meetings, just because I know that some of you are interested and it kind of works on a smaller scale in local church. Um, and then we're going to open up for Q&A, so get thinking about your Q&As. So an evening meeting at Spring Harvest might look like it all just happens on its own, but there is actually a tremendous amount of planning and a lot of people are surprised by that. They're surprised that we don't just go with the flow. And obviously we aren't open to the Holy Spirit. But actually there's, um, there's a couple of groups that work. Did you say we aren't open to the Holy Spirit no, no, or we, we are? are. Oh. Totally are, obviously. Um, there's a couple of groups that work throughout the whole year. Um, and Malcolm and I sit actually on different ones of those. Um, and we plan the theme and the content of what you're learning at Spring Harvest this year. Of what we're exploring together. Um, we, we spend about... 12 to 18 months planning out the theology, researching the teaching for the theme guides and the theme books that you guys are getting this week, um, and what the different evenings and mornings will look like. We come up with uh, documents that talk about the preaching, uh, about the scripture, don't we, and about where we think God might be going. And then uh, as soon as we arrive on site, 
we have a, a different kind of team that meets every afternoon. So while you guys are out feeding the birds and, you know, swanning around eating ice creams, we are working very, very hard. Um, Don't cheer that we're working hard. <laughs> but we get together every day at 2.15 and we call it the Celebration Planning Group, the CPG. And the CPG has the speaker for the evening in it. It has the worship leader and it has these members of the, the CPG team um, and we get together and we talk about what we think God has been doing that day so far. So as well as all the planning and the, and the documentation of what's going to be done that night, we're really sensing what God's doing and we spend about an hour, don't we, mm -hmm. talking about the different components of the night, uh, the different things we want to promote. You might get fed up with some of our promotions but we actually really believe in partnership, in partnership with people like Patrick in the book I mentioned. It's not trying to sell you something, it's actually us saying throughout the whole year, what kind of things do you think we should be putting in front of people to resource and equip? Uh, and um, we come up with a structure for the evening meetings. There's a girl called Claire who has her laptop out and a spreadsheet and how many minutes we've got. And we actually begin to put things in minute by minute. So, okay, we'll start with 15 minutes of worship at 6.45 and then uh, we're going to have some people get up and welcome and we think, well, who should that be? We think very, um, very uh, detailed about who's been up there and who hasn't and making sure that the people that, that speak are up front are people that people feel safe with, don't we? We think, think about you know who's been up there too much, who hasn't been up there enough, uh, creating a team of presenters who will make people feel safe, uh, then maybe some more worship and then a video. And it's actually crafted to the minute, but at the same time we're totally open to God saying we want to totally change it and we're, we're willing to completely let go of that if God's doing something different. Um, we think about responses. We talk about what the, what this preacher is going to say, and we, we ask the Holy Spirit to show us in advance if there's any ideas about where God might be leading us, and who in the room uh, in that planning group might be the person that God is most putting um, on their heart to lead that. And we talk about that, don't we? Basically, there's a lot of planning that goes into a meeting, like the ones we have every night. But at the same time, there's a freedom to the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage you to embrace both of those elements. Some worship leaders come up to me and say, we don't plan because that quenches what God's doing. And I don't believe that. I think you can get together and, and plan things in a really professional way and at the same time be really open to what the Holy Spirit's doing and be willing to throw it out the window. But that's what we embrace here at Spring Harvest. So uh, often when you're kind of sitting out there looking at it, you might just think it just happens. But uh, we do believe, don't we, in the, in the sort of joint responsibility that part of our worship is actually making a spreadsheet that works minute by minute and that isn't constraining for us it's actually um, a joy because it's us being organized and responsible and then we're open to God kind of surprising us in the middle of that and actually it's an act of worship itself there is an act of worship in putting that together my job one of my jobs this year um, is chairing that celebration planning group so it's my job to make sure that you feel as if the big top just flows from beginning to end. And that you don't... Actually, if you leave forgetting who was presenting, forgetting who led the responses, forgetting who led worship, forgetting who the preacher was, but saying, I met with God by the power of the Holy Spirit tonight and was changed, then we've done a good job. Um, and it's, it's a lot of work, actually, and it's a lot of discussion. And actually, um, I, I really value it, but we are completely open to what the Spirit might be saying. Um, for me, getting the theme and the, the, the big top thing and the rest of the space flowing in the right direction is really important. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit's always in a hurry and I don't always think that he turns up at the last minute. I just think that often we do. 
and we kind of say, well, I, I haven't done anything all week. Now I'm presenting myself before you. Sometimes there's nothing you can do except that. I have been in situations where I've said, God, I have nothing to say to this congregation today. I don't know how to do that. And I guess one of the interesting things for me is I, I, I'm, I, I regularly preach in the Big Top. I also help present in the Big Top regularly. I chair the CPG this year. And, so, and, and, and I've been on all sides of that. Yeah. And it works. You might be playing the clarinet next year. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. that I know. Um, it, it, it works. It creates a real synergy. But we are very open to saying, what is God saying? And again, it's this question of creativity and, and walking together. And taking the theme and saying, how do we help people to grasp this? It's not overcrafting it. So we're not producing a show. Mm. Nobody on the stage is seeking to perform. Yeah. What they're seeking to do is worship and enable you mm. to worship as well. But I put this picture up um, for a very good reason. I, I, I want you to understand what I mean. I'm not being arrogant. I preach in a lot of different places. And I am involved in a lot of big conventions and conferences. I probably, I don't know how many times I preach a year, but it's too many. Um, I, I am deeply committed to Spring Harvest. And I'm committed to Spring Harvest because it's got this, it gets many things wrong. Sometimes I think we need to tweak and change and be more open. Sometimes I think we, there are lots of things that we need to change. We know that. Uh, but that picture um, captures for me why I'm committed to this. Years ago, I had a vision as a, as a local church leader. I, I've been committed to that for, for years. And in it, I saw a man walking across a piece of grass with a watering can in his hand to, to water a plant. And when he tipped over the watering can, oil came out of the end of the can and the plant died. And I think it was the voice of the Holy Spirit, but the voice, a voice said to me, Malcolm, remember that the church is a plant, not a machine. If you oil a plant, you will kill it. If you water a machine, you will blow it up. I'm committed to Spring Harvest because we get this right. We recognize that the act of worship as a community is organic. It is not mechanical. And we have to help people realize that they're on a journey together, growing in worship together. And if you water a machine, you'll destroy it. But if you oil a plant, you will kill it. So what we want to do in our celebrations is nurture and release and enable you not just on day one but on night one two three four five and morning six mm. to encounter a journey with god yeah. from beginning to end so that's why we do it the way we do and it's very practical but then it presents itself mm. in a beautiful way i think i do too we want to make sure we give you guys plenty of time to uh, engage uh, verbally as well as through all the uh, technological and note passing. I love that we got a couple of notes. This is the original text. I love that. Um, so the questions we're kind of wanting from you is um, are sort of based around this stuff, but also anything else that comes to mind. We love the sort of randomness of how all our brains work. So any question is fine, but um, predominantly thinking about how we structure church, how we do it. Um, have you ever wondered why people stand up the front? Have you ever wondered why all the seats face a certain way? Krish touched on it, didn't he, in his preach in night one. The fact that we make our churches look a bit like a classroom. That the worship team is often up the front, often on a stage. Are we adopting a rock concert model? Are we adopting a classroom model? Um, I was talking to someone the other day and they were saying that in children's um, 
schools, teaching is actually looking more and more different, less and less like the rows of desks lined up and more and more like almost like a cafe-style approach to school where teachers just wander around and there's a lot of interaction. This whole model of, of someone being up the front and doing something to people, and we call it the broadcast model in social media. It's a, it's a one-way channel. It's, it's less and less, and that's why we're trying to get you involved with texting and with um, tweeting, so it's a two-way street. Should church look different, literally, in the way we lay it out? Would it be better if the worship band were perhaps on a balcony behind us? Is it interesting that in uh, you know, church music in years gone by, the organist was often out of sight? The cathedral that I attend in Durham, you can't see the organist. You can hear him or her, but you can't see him. What, why have we adopted this, this front-based model? Is it useful? Is it essential? Could we actually um, make our leadership more diluted? Would that still be a safe environment if there was less prominence about one or two people? What do you think? We're going to open the floor. I'm going to run around uh, to show that I'm not over 40. And uh, <clears throat> I've actually a long way away from I 40. I know. Why don't you take, as, as Vicky gets help getting down the stairs, <laughs> why, don't you, um, why don't you take a couple of minutes to talk and then we'll call you back and we'll good do idea. the running good as well. Idea. So just buzz about what you've heard. Yeah. There's a good question. How could our corporate worship experiences be done better? How do we do all of this yeah. differently? Yeah. And in Spring Harvest, if you have feedback about that, feel free to be blue, you know, blatantly, bluntly... Blutantly honest. Go for it. Okay, I've done my warm-ups to make sure that I don't... As know. Vicky comes down, listen to this. Somebody has just encouraged me. Uh, you joke about Malcolm's clarinet, but once I led worship and Malcolm turned up and asked me if he could play, did I? This was directly before the service started. It was the most glorious sound. That really showed God's glory. All right. Through no one ever says these things about me, and it's my job. <laughs> I'm going to let the young'uns take over. Yes. Um, thank you for that. Whoever sent that text, that is a real um, encouragement to me, because I've actually been thinking about giving up the clarinet, because I don't have a lot. <laughs> it's a word. Anyway, somebody put their hand up. Anybody got a question? Um, Vicky will hold on to the mic. Please don't take it off her, or otherwise we'll get a bouncer Perfect. to take it back. Um, children in worship, do you recommend having cheesy little children action songs within the worship? Did you say cheesy children? Yeah. Yeah. You're slowing a, a slowing, yeah. showing a slight bias um, in your yeah. view. <laughs> or, do, or do you take them out and do cheesy little children songs with them in another place? It's interesting you say that. Okay, so when I was asked to lead worship in the big top for the first time ever, I was briefed. Um, by my friend Wendy, who directs Spring Harvest, she said, the only thing I need to make you aware of is that every worship leader who leads in the big top has to do the big start. Now, I had never done any kind of children's worship in my life, and I actually came up with an idea. I thought, well, I'm not going to learn any of these children's songs because I hate them. I'm going to write my own that rock. Um, so I actually had a go at writing a couple. There's one called Jesus is My Best Friend. There's an... There's another one called Open the Pages that we did last year. <laughs> awesome. And I decided, I thought, right, I'm going to make actions cool. So I think a lot of it is actually about you going, right, I'm going to take a song and I'm going to own it. And if you look kind of like you're going for it, it actually stops being less embarrassing. I mean, some of them are embarrassing and a bit ridiculous. And I would say don't, don't use them if they don't kind of gel. But um, try mine and see if they work. It's a bit of a <laughs> I would say use them. 
Not use loads of them, but use them. And I would, I would encourage the adults, we do this, and I say to the adults, I often say to the children, I'll address them and I'll say, you know, the, all the adults think that this is just for you because you need simpler songs. But actually, if they use their bodies in worship too, God might bless them. <laughs> and I encourage people to use their bodies. They're not really dopey actions because nobody wants to do those. But stuff like One Way Jesus, you often see me, I don't know if you've noticed, but I sign. So on the seat, when I'm on the stage, I'll sign. And I use BSL um, as signs for children in singing and in worship. And I lay my life down at your feet. You're the only one I need. I thought they were just dance moves. (laughs) No, I wasn't wasn't actually doing sign at that point. But getting children to do sign, getting adults and children to use some uh, movement in their body is is an act of worship that draws people out of themselves, I think, sometimes. But it's the balance, I think. Another question. New songs. How many new songs would you put in a service and um, how do you prepare them for it? Yeah, good idea. Um, I would say in, uh, in a week like Spring Harvest where we're worshipping morning and evening, I would usually come with three new songs to teach for the entire week. Uh, people take a really long time to learn new songs. We are musicians, so we learn songs much faster. We get bored with songs when most people are just starting to learn the songs. Uh, so I would say... Thank An absolute so maximum of one new song per set, per meeting. Uh, and I would say if you're in a local church, I would say maybe about two to three new songs a month, bearing in mind that not everybody comes every week. And if you have different music teams, it's always really good to, to agree together what your one or two new songs are that month and all commit to trying to use them so that you're not kind of throwing lots of different things at different people. Let's have one more. Uh, you walk to somebody, and I right. will... All right, who's um, the furthest person I'm going to do this as you walk. Come on, someone right out there on the extremities. Keep walking, keep walking. Keep at my fit. dad's church, there's a chap who plays the piano really badly. <laughs> and it's a distraction to worship, but no one wants to upset him and ask him not to play. How should this sort of situation be handled? Um, I would have a quiet word with them. I would take them aside, and I would say... Actually, I don't think this is your primary gifting, and I know that that would be painful. I don't think this is your primary gifting. So what I'd like to do is work with you on what your primary gifting is. And let's find the area of ministry where you truly fit in, rather than the area of ministry where you are not fitting in. Because calling, as, a, as, as churches, calling is not up to you to go off into a corner and discern. Calling in any area in church ministry and life is discerned by the body and by you. It has to be confirmed by others. And the worst three areas, I think, for that not working is um, uh, preachers. I'm called to be a preacher because God told me, but nobody's listening. (laughs) Our churches are full of people who 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago should have been told, this isn't your calling. Uh, Musicians who think that God has told them to play and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It does. And singers. I think those are the three. So I would try to help them find something else and walk with them into it. But I would talk to my senior leader and ask them to take responsibility for it. Because if they haven't intervened, they probably should have anyway. Um, So one more question and then we're going to draw this. I'm afraid we're going to have to pull this. Come and bring them back tomorrow or um, text them. But this is the last question. Uh, This is just about... um how we can do church differently about the going from the front. Yes. We've found in our church lately that more and more we're interacting with one another in the congregation and um, it just seems to be working really well and opening up more of a, 
the body kind of doing the preach together almost and stuff evolving. And also just one, one note about Spring Harvest. When I struggle in worship and I look around and look at all the other people worshipping, I find it's such a wonderful moment. So when we, if we could see that on the camera sometimes, the people in the congregation yes. worshipping is such a wonderful moment. Thank you so Thanks. much. Um, tonight, today's theme is Give Them Power. And I, it's a great place to end today. What we need to have beyond anything else is not simply professionalism and slick services and stuff organized together. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need him to open our hearts and enable us to be willing to listen to him and be guided by him. And as you go through, um, it struck, this struck me yesterday. I want to show you a little clip before you go. This struck me yesterday. As you go through um, your journey of either engaging in sung worship or worship, and you may not like it. Some people might be here who actually struggle with it, or you lead it. Can I just say to you, and I know it sounds cheesy, thank you. Thank you. I, as a pastor and as a worship leader, actually, I so appreciate people like you. And even if you don't hear that very often, it's important that you know that God smiles on you when you seek to lead his people into his presence through worship. Even when Jimmy and Fred and Betty are scowling, God is smiling at you. Now, I happen to know that yesterday you mentioned that one of your favorite movies was The Lion King. Yes. So as we remember who we are, uh, may we go with God's grace. This is for you, Vicky, my dear friend. Does it feature the clarinet? So, Father, I want to pray for every single one of us today because we all forget. We get caught up in leading and preaching and preparing and talking and working and running around. And we get frazzled and stressed and pressured and hurt by the words that people use over us and the things that they say and the criticisms that they give whether it's Vicky or me or any one of our brothers and sisters in this room, thank you that we are children of the King. And thank you that we need never fear running after you and saying, don't leave me alone, because you've promised never to leave us. Thank you that you live in us, and thank you that you live in every single person in this room. Encourage